I became a traditionally published author in 2013. Only now, in 2021, have I made my debut as a hybrid author. If you think you might be interested in knowing, first of all, more about what a hybrid author is and does, or if you're just interested in going indie, have a listen to this episode. Hello, and welcome to the Groovy Writer Podcast, where we explore how to find your writing groove, regardless of your circumstances. I'm your host, author and MFA instructor, Nicole McGinnis. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm going to start this episode a little differently. I'm going to start it with the pitch, the description of my latest novel, which is on Amazon. Here is the description of The Gilead. Starting over can be epic. Shortly before her 40th birthday, suburban wife, mom, and former aspiring artist Jillian Kensington finds herself suddenly alone, holding the shattered fragments of a life she's worked hard to convince herself was perfect. Rescued by her estranged best friend from childhood, Jillian returns to the small mountain town where she grew up. There, she's forced to confront the dark underworld of her marriage and the ways in which she long ago abandoned what matters most. When further help arrives in the form of an unlikely cast, including her first love from high school, a bitter desert storm veteran, and a free-spirited pygmy goat, Jillian is faced with a choice that will change all of their lives, remain in a fever dream of denial, or wake up and allow herself and her life to be transformed. Loosely inspired by the writings of Homer and other ancient Greek storytellers, The Gilead is a novel about the choices we make, the consequences of those choices, and, if we're lucky, the chance we get to create something authentic and new from the broken pieces of our former selves. In 2013, my first novel was published by a really great publisher called Holiday House, who has been known for decades and decades for publishing wonderful children's books. That novel, Brianna on the Brink, is a young adult novel. And the editor who acquired that novel at Holiday House, she really was phenomenal to work with, especially as a debut author, someone who had never been traditionally published before, Going traditional was all I had ever wanted to do. I had never considered any other outlet for getting my writing into the hands of readers. And working with everyone at Holiday House, and especially that editor, was just a phenomenal experience. It was a well-known publisher, but also small enough so I didn't feel like I was lost in the shuffle as a new author. That's a very interesting new role to inhabit when you get that first publishing deal. So Brianna on the Brink came out. It did fairly well. I got some great feedback from readers. It got some nice critical reviews, and those were wonderful. I knew that I had to get to work on the next project, which I already had some inklings of and some ideas for. And so that's what I did. I wrote another book. It took me a while because I have said this on the podcast, and I will say it again here, and this was especially true back then. I consider myself a fairly slow low writer in terms of output. I know people who put out multiple books a year, or at least write multiple books a year, full-length novels. And I just think that's incredible because 
it has always taken me longer. And also back then, I had two young kids, I had a full-time career, I had dogs and horses and all sorts of things going on outside of my writing life. So that might have contributed largely to the speed at which I was writing. Although I still don't think I'm a very fast writer, but I think my speed has picked up a little bit more. Anyway, the next book, 100 Days, also a young adult novel, was published in 2016 by Macmillan. That was another really overall fabulous experience. Macmillan was and is obviously a much larger publishing house, publishing entity than Holiday House. And so it was a bit of a different experience. It was very heady. It was very exciting. I really felt at that time that I had hit the big time. I was getting to work with another phenomenal team, a team that had those resources behind it. So that was really exciting to sort of be in the big leagues in a way. After 100 days, I kept writing and I was working on the next project. And I also still had the full-time career. My kids were starting to grow up. There was stuff happening in life. I was spread thin, like so many writers are, between writing and a job and taking care of kids or going to school. There's, of course, so many different ways in which people can be spread thin. But this is common for writers. It's a common struggle to find that writing life work-life, family-life balance. And I've talked a lot about that on the podcast in other episodes, so I won't go into it really further here. In 2018, less than two years after my second novel, 100 Days, came out, I started working on a different sort of project. I knew that in terms of an author brand, in terms of building a consistent backlist, that continuing to write YA would be smart. And I knew that I would continue to write YA, and I have. But in 2018, I felt very called to work on a different sort of project. And the project I started writing was The Gilead, which is the description I read at the beginning of this episode. It came from a very personal place, as my YA books had two, in a sense, but The Gilead came from a more adult, personal place. And it was geared primarily toward adults, toward people who had come through their 20s and come through their 30s. Jillian in this novel, The Gilead, is about to turn 40. I had already turned 40 several years back, and I remembered that feeling of sort of walking through a doorway. Then with all the other experiences I had had up until that point, they just sort of gelled for me in a narrative form, and I started working on the book. I thought, you know, not only is this meaningful to me, but it might be meaningful for readers as well. So I went ahead and really dove in, ended up revising it, getting it into shape that I thought was pretty strong, and sent it to the agent who proceeded to do what agents do, and after some back and forth and some cleaning things up, sent it out on what is called submission. This is another thing I have discussed in some other episodes related to publishing. But basically what that means is it's a product that's going out to market. It went out on submission and very limited submission. Got some excellent feedback from editors who really read it very thoughtfully and commented on the content, the structure, the themes. And it was wonderful. It was helpful. I always appreciate editorial feedback. And as I always do, I kept it on file and I reviewed it and I held it up against the book and I made changes based on much of that feedback. I also asked my agent to pull it from submission. I had a feeling I didn't want it going out anymore until I had had a chance to digest some feedback, do a bunch of edits. And that's what I did. 
And then 2020 happened. I know I don't need to say any more. My life, my writing were affected by the goings on, like just about everyone else's writing was. The Jillia just sort of got shelved for a bit, and I put it away. And I actually worked on a totally different book, another young adult novel. While I was letting the Jillian sort of percolate and sort of letting my subconscious work on that a little bit, I switched gears, went back to YA, which I personally find helpful when I have one project sort of in the hopper and another that's starting. It's sort of nice to be writing in multiple genres and or categories for me because I'm able to really switch gears completely and do something that's really fresh. So I worked on writing that next young adult novel. And meanwhile, I was still teaching full time. I've talked about that quite a bit on the podcast as well. Uh, My career as an MFA instructor is something I hold very dear to my heart, and I love it, and a lot of my energy gets poured into my teaching, and a lot of my energy gets poured into my writing as well, but once I found that I had a child graduated from university and another child off to university, it was time to retrieve the Gilead from its shelf, and that's what I did. I pulled the novel back out, and I read through it through the new lens of time that had passed, feedback that had been fully digested. And I started to have what were to me some strange inklings about the fate, speaking of ancient Greek mythology, the fate of this novel. I found myself for the first time in my career as an author hesitant to send it back out into the world of traditional publishing. This was completely unexpected, by the way. This was not something that I had been thinking about for a long time or even any time at all. What I had seen, though, during 2020 and in 2021 on social media over the transom was that the state of traditional publishing was hit very, very hard. I was hearing this from agents. I was hearing this from editors. I was hearing this from authors. There was a general sense of frustration happening. Everything seemed to have ground to a halt. That really gave me pause. And it was a combination of giving me pause and sort of forcing open a door that I had never maybe even, maybe I had realized it was there, but I had never taken seriously. And that door is indie publishing. Used to be called self-publishing, not to be confused with vanity publishing. Many, many, many authors have been burned by what is known as vanity publishing. Again, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole in this episode, but self-publishing is basically when an author is not just the author who sends the book to their agent, who sends it out to on submission to editors, and it hopefully gets sold and then the publishing house basically does a a huge bunch of the work from there. Although the author still has to do a lot of work in traditional publishing, don't get me wrong. Another rabbit hole I won't go down in this episode. But in indie publishing, the author, while you can hire things out, cover design, editing, publicity, distribution, in many, many cases, the author takes on these roles in addition to being the author. This was one of the things that had kept me from ever seriously considering indie publishing before. The main thing that had kept me from considering it was the fact that my dream had always been to traditionally publish, to have my books out there via traditional publishers, big publishing houses. And I had experienced that, and it was largely really great. And also, I always felt there was a stigma around self-publishing. The lack of gatekeepers, which I have some very strong thoughts about that have really evolved over the years. But in self-publishing, the relative lack of gatekeepers means that pretty much anyone can do it, which means that 
Yeah, quality in self-published books can suffer as a result. That is just what it is. It's a completely open market, relatively without filters. I was just uninterested. I never looked at it seriously. I knew of some of the authors who had found great success, at least starting by self-publishing, many of whom had gone on to get traditional publishing deals. We've all heard of those authors, but still, I had just figured it wasn't for me. So that combination of publishing feeling like it just ground to not just a halt, but to sort of an unpleasant place. And my confidence in this novel, coupled with the editorial feedback I had received from some really top, fantastic editors, made me take another look at the indie path. And then I started looking at authors who I knew had done it well. Authors such as Chuck Wendig, who, by the way, writes hilariously about his publishing journeys and has written hilariously and very thoughtfully about the path of the hybrid author. So as someone taking the first steps into indie publishing, but having already had books traditionally published, I can't really call myself an indie author. What I can call myself and do call myself now, and I'm still getting used to the title a little bit, is hybrid author. Hybrid authors are becoming more and more common, and I can't speak for other authors, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's largely because of some of the issues I mentioned. Like traditional publishing, indie publishing absolutely has its downsides. I've mentioned a few of them, but some of the upsides are pretty darn compelling. As I've mentioned in a previous episode, I don't plan to stop traditional publishing, and I will likely continue to keep projects circulating in that world. That said, my first steps into this new adventure have been really exciting, really challenging. And it could be that this is a stage of life issue too. I'm no longer a starry-eyed debut author. I've been there, done that, and seen enough, experienced enough with the traditional publishing world to understand that it is a business first and foremost, and that is okay. It's not about hopes and dreams. It's not about how a writer feels about their work or connecting with readers first and foremost. First and foremost, it's a business. That is what it is. It's okay. It's something I try to really let my students know. Try not to be too starry-eyed about traditional publishing. You need to approach it as a business. And I would say the same is true of indie publishing. However, the level of control that an author has is total. And that can be exhilarating. It can also be pretty stressful because you realize how much work goes into getting a quality product out there. And that is why publishing houses tend to have teams of editors and proofreaders and publicists and cover designers and others. That is not an exhaustive list. But you start to realize, wow, that is the huge appeal of going traditional with a high quality publishing house is that you have a team behind you doing all that work. The trade-off, of course, is that it does cost you. It costs you quite a bit in royalties. There's a cut that goes to the agent. There's a cut that goes to the publisher. And so there's that. However, distribution is handled. Publicity and marketing, not so much. Typically, especially newer authors have to do a lot of that anyway. So when it came to indie, I didn't think that seemed like a huge hurdle. I have scaled that learning curve since my first novel came out. But as far as handling the business side and being able to put that business hat on, it is something that I think legitimately keeps many authors away from even exploring self-publishing. That was definitely true for me. That was a thing. I thought there's no way I want to do all that. I want to write and I want to just be in the creative zone. But again, being at this stage of life, being an empty nester and looking around and realizing, you know what? I have a little more time and space 
advice if I'm interested to pursue this. So long story short, I did a bunch of research. I researched authors who I know have done both well, traditional and indie publishing. I've been all over YouTube, all over blogs, all over various business-related resources. And what I decided was given all of that, plus this particular moment in history, not just for the world, but for publishing, I became very sort of grounded in the fact that I felt strongly about this manuscript, the Gilead. I felt readers would feel strongly about it. The question then becomes getting the word out to those readers. And I knew that would be a learning curve. I knew all of it would be a learning curve. And I was not wrong. I am right smack in the middle or at the beginning of that learning curve. But that said, I went ahead and made the leap. And I am so glad that I did. I could have sent it back out on submission and waited and waited and wait times are anywhere from the normal several months up to beyond a year at this point in my experience and in the experience of other writers. And I just had the sense, you know, time is precious. Writing to me is more than, I guess I gave it credit for being during those years when I saw traditional publishing as the be all end all. For me, it came down to that psychological hurdle when it came to becoming a hybrid author. When I did start to do that research, by the way, I quickly saw that the stigma that I had first seen and felt regarding indie publishing has largely vaporized because it is a huge chunk of the market, for one thing. And readers are seeing that while there may be some issues with quality out there, there are also some beautiful books being produced by indie authors and by hybrid authors. My willingness to step into that space largely comes from the hard work of those bold authors who have come before. There's that saying, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. And regarding this part of my own personal publishing journey, I can absolutely say that is the case. Despite knowing I would have to be author, publisher, publicist, and just about everything else where this book is concerned, I decided to take the plunge. If you're feeling those inklings of maybe wanting to explore becoming an indie author, or if you're already traditionally published, becoming a hybrid author, but maybe you're feeling hesitant because, oh, how will I ever learn about how to do it? Everything from formatting the manuscript so it can be uploaded into an ebook, for example, or formatting it so it can be made into a paperback or a hardback to all of the other issues I mentioned. I recommend not letting that fear stop you. There is so much information right at our fingertips about every single aspect of the indie publishing process. People are so generous. It's people who have had success, people who have struggled, who share what not to do. If you can find the time to do some research and to look into it, give it a serious look, I think you should. I think it's a great thing to do. I wholeheartedly support you. It might be that you decide, no, it's just not for me, but you never know. It could unexpectedly open a door to an entirely new way of reaching readers and approaching your entire writing career. I'm going to wrap this episode up. You know I'm going to have more to say about this, by the way. I'm going to have more to say in future episodes about all of these things. But I'm going to wrap this up here with The Daily Groove. Today's Daily Groove comes to us from Oscar Wilde, who said famously, We are all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. This line, of course, was also beautifully sung by Chrissy Hind in the wonderful Pretender song. Those of us who are Gen Xers likely hear this line as part of the soundtrack running in the background of our lives sometimes. 
But I thought it was fitting for this episode because looking into new ways to get the writing we care about into the hands of readers who we also think will care about it is, in my opinion, just one more way of looking at the stars. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Groovy Writer Podcast. You can find the podcast on most major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. You can also listen in on YouTube and on my website at nicolemcinnis.com. Until next time, ride on, Groovy Writers. Ride on. <laughs>